Ladies and gentlemen, this episode of See Here is brought to you by Alice's Restaurant. episode of see here i've forgotten what number it is morris can you uh it's 28 28 hey uh, episode 28 of see here all right my name's bernie i'm in the uk and you just heard morris there hello hello morris i and, believe uh, i can get anything in, uh, i want out of this episode apparently so yeah yeah it's just around the back as well Maybe we should edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> and over in Seoul, in South Korea, we've got Tim. Ghetto Tim. How's it going, Tim? How you doing, Gus? Looking Good. forward to uh, talking about some Mr. Arlo Guthrie tonight. That's right. This month, we are talking about Arthur Penn's 1969 film, Alice's Restaurant, based on the uh, the song by Arlo Guthrie. So, here we go, I guess. Hi. How you doing? I'm Arlo Guthrie. And you've probably listened to or heard about a thing called Alice's Restaurant. Now, as you know, Alice's Restaurant is about some friends of mine, Alice and Ray, who live in a church in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, where Alice ran her restaurant. Alice's Restaurant is not the name of the restaurant. It was the name of my song about the restaurant. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. And now... It's the name of a movie based on my song about Alice's restaurant. You hippie perversion! What's that funny smell? What funny smell? It's all about that beautiful Thanksgiving dinner, which produced an incredible, amazing pile of garbage, which we tried real hard to dump at the dump. which we ended up dumping off the side of a road where we were caught red-handed by some local citizens and eventually confronted by none other than Officer Obi himself. Kid, we found your name on an envelope at the bottom of a half a ton of garbage. Just want to know if you had any information about it. Well, yes, sir, Officer Obi. I cannot tell a lie. I put that envelope under that garbage. Both under arrest. It's all about the subsequent full-scale police investigation, complete with five police officers, three police cars, one police dog, and 27 8x10 colored glossy photographs with a paragraph on the back of each one used as evidence at the subsequent trial, which resulted in my conviction, a black mark on my record, which eventually led me to my problems with the draft. Turn your hat and cough. <coughs> that ain't enough. So I had. I think you guys think particularly about the drive. One of the rest of the 
mean I'm sitting here on the group W bench because you because you want to know if I'm moral enough to join the army, burn women, kids, houses, children, and villages after being a litter bug. Dan, we all like your kind. We're going to send your fingerprints off to Washington. So I'm inviting all of you to meet me and Alice and Ray and Officer Roby and all kinds of groovy people doing all kinds of groovy things that are all part of the Alice's Restaurant Anti-Massacre movement that you can join by digging this film or by singing the song in four-part harmony with feeling. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. You can get anything you want Anything you want at Alice's Restaurant You can get anything you want At Alice's Restaurant Walk right in, it's around the back Just a half a mile from the railroad track And you can get anything you want At Alice's Restaurant uh, Alice's Restaurant, when did you guys first become aware of this? Were you uh, fans of Arlo before the film? Did you see the film first? So I think it was back in 1989 or 1990, I was visiting a friend in Sydney and he had the, uh, I can't remember if it was the soundtrack album or if it was just the regular album, because there were two albums of uh, Alice's Restaurant, but either way, yeah, I, I suspect it was probably like the regular album and it had you know that full 18 and a half minute story, tale, whatever you want to call it. And the massacre. The massacre. And yeah. I mean, look, given that I grew up in a house where I had two sisters who were devotees of folk music. I mean, one was definitely into more American sounds and the other one was into British sounds. But the fact that Arlo had never really crossed my path, I mean, and you know, Woody certainly had, uh, it was just, it was incredible to me that it took until, you know, 1989 before this song you know, was in my ear holes, as it were. And I just mm-hmm. felt, I absolutely fell in love with it. And then I found out a little while later that there was a film made based around the song. And I couldn't yeah. find couldn't find it anywhere in those VHS days. And I think back in 1996, while Joanne and I were travelling around the world, we ended up in uh, New York and walked into a Tower Records, and they just happened to have the VHS of Alice's Restaurant. So I thought, oh, I've been waiting for this film. Okay, yep. Went and bought it and took it home to watch in Australia. It was a little bit difficult, though, because the American system is NTSC. And <laughs> we had PAL, so I had to watch it with all these funny green colours because as we uh, members of uh, PAL-watching nations, Bernie, we, we like to call yeah. the American system never the same colour. <laughs> so That's right. You would have a, of... a multi-region VCR player, wouldn't you, to watch that correctly? Correct. And, and, well, and a TV to accommodate it. So it was... Yeah. It was a little bit difficult. So, yeah, 1996 was when I first saw the film. And I'll I'll leave it till we sort of, like, get into discussing our thoughts about the film to say what I thought about it initially. But, yeah, so the song back in 89, 90, and then about six years later before I actually got to see the film. What about you, Tim? I go back to the 70s with Arlo, actually, because my dad, he was a big, uh, he wasn't a big folky, but there was a lot of stuff my dad dug. 
he turned me on to like when I was a kid hearing Dead Skunk in the Middle of the Road by Loud Wainwright. Nice. And then and then some of the early albums that uh, Arlo had put out. And I remember that my dad had actually had a music book of the guitar tablature for uh, Arlo for Alice's Restaurant. And actually, I remember that in the guitar book, in the back of it, they actually had the legal citations that they got hit with for dumping the garbage, like you know right. the actual pa- paperwork of it yeah. in the back in the back of the the guitar book, and then they had a little drawing on a napkin of you know, as evidence of you know them sitting in court of the the, the truck dumping the uh, the garbage over the hillside and all that stuff. Like it was, you know, I saw this stuff when I was maybe like five or six years old. Because my dad, like I said, my dad was big into Arlo at that time. And as a kid, I grew up with Puff Puff the Magic Dragon, who were the Weavers, you know, like me with uh, yeah. Pete Seeger, who happens to be in this film. And also, you know, Pete was another one who, you know, we used to see on Sesame Street as uh, kids. He was on there a couple of times. But it was through Pete that I found out about Woody. And my dad had listened to a little bit of Woody. And then I found out from my dad that the old man was his old man. So I, I had seen Alice's Restaurant, I think, oh, now probably about 75 or 76. Oh, why? Okay. That was the that was the last, the first yeah. time I'd seen it. And since yesterday. Yeah, it was quite a trip. You know, I mean, there wasn't anything I remembered in it aside from the story, the initial event. But um, yeah. Well, uh, I first came across it in, must have been very early 90s, about 91, 92. We had just got like a cable actually satellite tv as it's known over here uh, but it's effectively cable tv and it showed up on one of the movie channels and i'd heard of uh, arlo guthrie a friend of mine had an arlo guthrie lp it wasn't the uh, alice's restaurant one it was the one with the uh, the motorcycle song on there which running down I, the road uh, yeah the one about the pickle i don't want to uh all right right yeah, yeah. Eat a you know actually that album right that album actually had a gatefold of arlo on a dirt bike and oh, we actually okay. and we actually had that hanging in there living room when no i was way. a kid <laughs> Ar- arlo with a tie-dye t-shirt you know like riding dirt bikes yeah. right yeah, yeah right. it was great yeah no so yeah I, and i happened to uh, to catch it on this cable station and it hit me at just the right time because I, I would have been like 19 20 years old and i was obsessed is probably too strong a word but i, I was certainly very very interested in this kind of period in history that you know the, the kind of 60s the counterculture right. the the music I kind of refused to listen to anything that was released post-1971 at this point. So it it just hit my sweet spot. And also, I was just kind of the right age. Because, you know, a big part of the film, and we'll get onto this, is, you know, it's finding yourself. What do you do? What's in store for you? You know, it's just kind of becoming who you are and becoming self-aware. Uh, which was a big part of that counterculture trip, I suppose, right. for the youth. And uh, yeah, so it just really sort of struck and, and resonated with me. And uh, yeah, I've been a big fan of it ever since. Well, Again, like you, Tim, I haven't seen it for maybe not quite uh, 35 years, but uh, probably right. a good 10 years. You know, I'm surprised I haven't seen this uh, sooner because uh, I'm a big fan of Arthur Penn. Sure. And, and I've always tried to see everything that he's done. And this was yeah. a film that I completely just went under the radar for me. And I, I just completely forgot that he had even directed this. I mean, after seeing, you know, Bonnie and Clyde and uh, Little Big yeah. Man and so many of the other things that Arthur Penn had done. He's, he's not the kind of director you would imagine. No. On a project like this is no, I mean, not at all. Clyde, as you could imagine, isn't it? Right. So, that would be like, it's kind of like Sam Peckinpah directing Can't Stop the Music. You know? <laughs> yeah. It would have it come up. 
up for a much more interesting film, though. Oh, man, yeah, I'd, I'd pay good money. Absolutely. To see that. Yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, I suppose at this point I should give a little plot summary of, uh, of Alice's Restaurant. It's based on a song written by Arlo Guthrie, which was supposedly based on real events when Arlo and friends went to visit Ray and Alice, this uh, sort of older couple that they knew in, uh, I believe, is it Stockton, Massachusetts? Right. They, this couple, Ray and Alice, had bought a church and it was kind of like a, a, a sort of crash pad commune the commune kind of thing for all the hippies right. and freaks in the area and alice's restaurant the actual song or alice's restaurant massacre as it's known is two parts one part is uh, about arlo's induction into the or going for his medical for his induction into the army and how that works out and uh, the other part is about arlo and friends trying to do a good deed getting rid of some garbage for ray and alice and uh, ending up being arrested and having to go to court for right. fly tipping essentially and so the film weaves those two events into a, a longer storyline which i don't know I, I hesitate to use the word narrative because it's quite episodic in a way yes yeah it's about arlo and ray and alice and ray and alice's relationship with each other with arlo and the other freaks whilst this is kind of going on you've got arlo's relationship with his father woody mm-hmm. who is in the hospital time's running out for him effectively he's on his deathbed and that's kind of it i suppose where do we go from here all right well <laughs> i'll come up with a few thoughts Thoughts. Yeah, please do, Morris. Um, yeah, yeah. I wanted to say that, in a way, this film qualifies as a see-here film in the same way, I guess, that Suburbia did. That it's less of a music film per se, but notwithstanding the fact that it's based on a song, but it is about the counterculture where music was very much a core part of the values. So I guess sure. in, in that way, it sort of say qualifies as a you know, see-here discussion. Yeah. So coming back to Arlo Guthrie, I mean, you know, by rights, I should have been a huge fan of his entire back catalogue once I discovered the music. I just sort of wanted to digress for a little bit to talk about his music. Riding on the city of New Orleans Illinois Central Monday morning rail Fifteen cars Restless riders, three conductors, twenty-five sacks of mail, all along the southbound Odyssey. The train pulls out at Kankakee and rolls along past houses, farms, and fields. His music, he, he was sort of different in a way to what a lot of the other folk writers and folk singers were doing in the 1960s because whereas I guess a lot of music especially of the late 60s they were rejecting their parents values I know that often the band is often cited as one of those rare breeds you know where the values of yesteryear was their image it was completely what they were about but whereas you know a lot of the bands of the late 60s and the whole psychedelic and counterculture movement was sort of a rejection of what their parents had gone and brought them up on and yet you get the feeling that Arlo was sort of trying to work within the realms of where folk music was then going 
but it's still he, I mean he, he couldn't help but embrace his father's music sure. and values he, I mean for crying out loud he was the son of Woody Guthrie the man who wrote yeah, yeah. This Land is Your Land the man cited as one of the greatest of American songwriters and I, I think you know, would it not be you know, it, it'd be fair to say that This Land is Your Land is really something like an American national anthem This land is your land and this land is my land California to the New York Island and the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters. This land was made for you and me. It's, you know, the song where you don't have to be a nationalist to say that you're proud of your country by embracing that song because it's inclusionist. And, you know, certainly that was something that Woody had greatly achieved. And I think what is interesting about Arlo's music is, you know, he still sort of embraces some of Woody's values and yet he sort of goes and takes things with, with Alice's restaurant and the motorcycle, motorcycle, motorcycle song, but he calls it the motorcycle, the pickle song. He's not above, you know, bringing some level of humour into his songs. I mean, I guess right. it could be argued that Woody did that too. I don't want a pickle. Just want to ride on the motorcycle. And I don't want a tickle. I'd rather ride on my motorcycle. And I don't want to die. Just want to ride on my motorcycle. To me, Woody always kind of took that kind of Will Rogers attitude, you know, that that kind of wry, you know, uh, sneaky kind of subversive humor with some of his music, you know, that was really subtle when he was trying to make a serious point, you know, and and that's why, you know, earlier in the week, you and I were talking a little bit about Darlow, and I, I made the point that, you know, I thought that some of Arlo's observations and writing to me is kind of almost like Mark Twain, too. When he's going in for his medical, he's just like, you know, and I was probed and prodded and this and yeah, that yeah. and the other thing, yeah. and they weighed this and they did that, you know, like, that's, that's, I could see, like, you know, Mark Twain doing something like that. Like, it, it's just this, you know, kind of uh, man from his own perspective perspective you know like you know who stands out and and it's just like arlo just has this kind of quirky way of looking at things that's really kind of funny and it's and it's the same way that woody did too really feels like that uh that kind of folk storytelling tradition doesn't it he's he's bringing that into his music but applying it to the situations that he's in and he's got that natural sort of knack and gift for doing that i think right i imagine that as well i mean i've already gone and said well for crying out loud he was the son of woody guthrie but there's a scene in the film where we see you know Woody he's uh, he's dying there of was it I can't remember Hodgkinson's disease yeah the uh, Korea Korea yeah Huntington's 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 disease and you see that one of the visitors in the hospital is you know Pete Seeger and it is in the actor obviously is not really Woody because Woody but it really was Pete Seeger who they bring into the film to sing Mm -hmm. Pastures of Plenty and, and the car song singing to Woody as a visitor in the hospital and I am imagine that that all these great folk singers were getting together on a nightly basis and it was a bit of a hoot nanny yeah. at uh, the, the Guthrie household. I worked in your orchards of peaches and prunes Slept on the ground neath the light of the moon On the edge of How's he doing? your city 
It was getting worse, but now he seems fine again. We just don't know what to expect or when. The wind. California, Arizona, I make all your crops. Then it's up north to Oregon to gather your hops. Dig the beets from your ground, cut the grapes from your vine to put on your table that light sparkling wine. Every time I've listened to the song Alice's Restaurant, the music, the name that comes up to my mind is Mississippi John Hurt. And we were, we were talking a little bit about him before we started recording. But that, mm-hmm. that talking blues thing, that's very much a Mississippi John Hurt thing. And that melody, that style of finger-picking guitar playing, those, that right. chord structure, that's very much in the Mississippi John Hurt wheelhouse. And I, I mean, oh, I've yeah, been, absolutely. I've been, I've been a fan of his for you know, like 20 years or something like that. I first heard um, uh, Salt dog blues and just absolutely fell in love with that stuff and yeah bought a great anthology and thought wow all these songs there they're so good there's that one bit in the film where uh arlo's friend roger rents a room and it's just him and him and arlo in the room and arlo's got the kazoo And he's playing that. Yeah, that's totally Mississippi John Hurt. I mean, like just that whole styling, the way he was playing. You know, it just you know you 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 know where it comes from. Right. You absolutely know where it comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went up there. I said, "Shrink, I want to kill. I want to kill. I want to see blood, gore, and guts and veins in my teeth. Eat dead, burnt bodies." I mean kill, and I started jumping up and down, yelling, kill, kill, and he started jumping up and down with me, and we was both jumping up and down, yelling, so let's talk a little bit about the film itself i mean do you think the idea of of basing an entire film on what is essentially a song does it work does it work as a framework that uh, they kind of drape the other parts of the story on what do you guys think? It's a good question, and 
Okay, so this is where I'm going to start getting a little bit critical of the film. Okay, so there's two issues here. One, we have an 18-minute song that they have to stretch out to, I think it's a two-hour film. Not even We're not even talking like an 80-minute film or something like that. Yeah, I think it's just under, isn't it? It's about an hour and 50, right. yeah. Right. So, yeah, this, this two-hour film that, and essentially the Alice's Restaurant Massacre, you know, the song turns up somewhere in the middle of the film and in some ways seems to sort of be like, oh shit, this is the film of Alice's Restaurant, yeah, we have to include the story of the song, and then now let's get back to the other stuff that Mm -hmm. we want to pad it out with. It almost seems like an afterthought, so... I don't know how you guys felt about that. And the other thing I wanted to make a point, and certainly be happy for a long discussion about this, depending on how you guys feel, is that the the tone of the film is very different between the events that we hear from in the song as represented in the film, which is humorous and blackly satirical, but... Real, a good chunk of the film is devoted, as I think you mentioned, Bernie, to the relationship between Alice and Ray and also the relationship that they foster with the hippies who come and stay in their church, mm-hmm. you know, in, their, mm-hmm. in their commune. And that's a lot more, I won't say dark, but a lot more serious in tone. And I'm not saying that you can't combine a film with some dark moments and some humorous moments. I mean, you know, Woody Allen, once he went into his Bergman period, was doing that all the time. It almost seems like, okay, here are the events of the song, they have to be humorous, so you're expecting that. Okay, now we're going to go to these other things. And there was there was a character in the film, uh, was his name Shelley, this uh, guy yes. who, who is a motorbike rider, and he's I don't know if he suffers from depression or he's just you know, uh, this miserable type who... He's, well, he's a... Um, I, I he's think an he addict. He's a recovered drug addict, isn't he? Yeah, yeah right. he's an addict. Right. His, his, uh, his kind of recovered addict's uh, personality is sort of painted in very broad strokes, isn't it? Very, very broad strokes. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that, you know, he, that character, that his mood can't sort of work for mm-hmm. that character, but we're never really given any time with him to sort of develop, to see how he develops or... Or have it explained to us that well yeah. because he's yeah. just because he's a recovered addict this is why he is who he is it, it just sort of seems like he's this miserable guy he comes into the church and it, it's funny you know there's that line that uh, Arlo says towards the uh, end of the song when he's you know getting the audience to sing along you know you can have anything you want except for Alice except well, Alice well yeah. in, in the film it's like you can have anything you want including Alice and yeah, I, right. I, I believe that the real uh, Alice Brock was not terribly happy with uh, her, how she was portrayed in the film, yeah. I don't know if it was Apparently something that to do is, with... that is the case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah, I think they did take some uh, real liberties with. The, the writing of the film well, and apparently the actual events in the song were kind of slightly different to the, the real life events but well, certainly I, from a character point of view and I guess to make it more dramatically interesting they certainly changed things I think it all fits together for me and I mean I don't know if I'm, I'm going out on a limb here and there's two main issues here there's idealism and there's reality and I think the whole thing about it is that Arlo to me when he goes to the whole film even though he's a young person at this time, to me, he's one of the smartest people who goes through everything, yeah. through all of it, because he really keeps his head and he's more of an observer than a reactor. I mean, he's the one telling everybody to cool it. and He's the one that is just kind of like, no, this is not working for me. And, and I mean, he can see the writing on the wall in a lot of situations, right? And he, uh, in the beginning, he's hanging with uh, one of Woody's friends, his female folk singer 
where she's talking about, oh, yeah, the days when I used to sing with Woody and we all used to get together and play. And then she wants to get, try to come on the Arlo and she's like, you don't find me attractive? No, I don't. I don't find you much of a performer either. That's cool. But I think the yeah. whole thing about the film to me is that there was this idealism about Alice's church in the restaurant. And I think that there's a polarity between Alice and Ray where Alice is more of the reality. And Ray, yeah. he, he he's can't get over it. He? He's yeah. the idealism, you know. That's and, exactly what I was going to say, yeah. And I think he's, you know, he's the guy that's still, you know, well, Alice will take care of you. She'll feed everybody. Go in the kitchen, Alice. Just cook them all something to eat, you know. And then she's looking at him like, yeah, you're, you know, are you serious? Like, fuck you, you know. Like, and I think the thing is, is that Arlo is the guy that's kind of caught in between worlds, you know, where he yeah. sees. Well, he can see both, can't he? Yeah. Absolutely. And even when, you know, he goes in for the draft, you know, it's kind of like there's the idealism and then there's the reality. I mean, did you guys note who was the sergeant there? One of the sergeants there? Yes. In the, uh, yeah. Walsh. Yeah. Walsh, yeah. There's the idealism or the, the ideas of the Vietnam War. I mean, they slightly touch on it. There's that moment when Arlo comes into the church and he says, uh, where's so-and-so? He's back? He's like, yeah, he's sleeping upstairs. And he goes up and he finds his friend with the hook. There's the uh, also the scene at the uh, the kind of motorcycle dirt race where right, um, they're all there watching Shelley because right. uh, he's Shelley and Ray are riding in the race, aren't they? And right. the kind of announcer is saying, you know, we're dedicating this race to all our brave boys who are over fly- fighting for uh, freedom, our freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, I thought you'd all like to know we're recording this today in honor of all the boys over in Vietnam and uh you, you can almost see that sort of divide in the uh in the crowd the kind sure. of hippies are like yeah not sure about that and everyone else yeah is they're, just kind of like, they're, and they're yeah. like we should go now we, we let's get out of here Let, let's go yeah. and they're, yeah they're all yeah. leaving the main thing that we haven't talked about and it's not a spoiler but i mean there's a situation where they have a Thanksgiving dinner at the church and then Arlo decides that he wants to be the, you know, the, the good Samaritan by actually yeah. taking all the trash and everything with his friends and trying yeah. to take it down to the dump. But the dump's closed on Thanksgiving day. So then they figure, well, where are we going to take this trash? And then they find a hillside and they notice there's trash down at the bottom of the hillside. So they figure that's the place they can dump. And off on the side of the side road was a 15 foot cliff. And at the bottom of the cliff was another pile of garbage, and we decided that one big pile was better than two little ones. Rather than bring that one up, we decided to throw ours down. And they don't. And then they fit. And the thing is, their their idealism is that they're doing something nice, you know. It is they're doing something that everyone's just going to see that they're doing a good deed. When actually, what happens is the cops turn around and say, "No, man, like this is a huge crime." You know, like they're looking at the opposite end of it, saying, "You guys are just and it, it, it kind of is, isn't it? It's this fly tipping. It's you know, it's messing up the environment. It's doing something really right. kind of stupid and thoughtless, but with good yeah. intentions." Mm. Right, right, right. So yeah. there's the idealism, and then there's a the realism. What would you yeah. think about this for us? Like, would you agree or? Yeah, absolutely, I do agree. I'm going to make actually sort of a different division because you've really gone to sit like about idealism versus pragmatism but I think there's also something in the film that 
and, and it was very appropriate for the time, that they're taking on old conservative America versus sure. the new generation in America. And I think during the first few minutes alone in the film, they, they go through it in a very heavy-handed way, but they want to make a point of it. So there, there are three points that I noted just from the first five to ten minutes before he even gets to Ray and Alice's church. So there's the difference of age. That scene that you mentioned already, Tim, where Arlo and his friend Roger having a little yeah. bit of a jam in his room and he's playing through yeah. the, playing through the kazoo and the landlady comes in and you know complains and I turn off that racket I want that racket to stop and the irony is they're playing old timey music that sure, right. she probably would have been a fan of years ago but because these are two young men with long hair it has to be a racket so there's right. there's that division and the other the other part of it too that also now that you're mentioning it makes me laugh is like in the recruiting the uh, the draft the office and they put him in with the father rapers and the mother rapers and the rapers <laughs> yeah. and rapers and, the- and I walked I walked over to, to the bench there and there is group group W is where they where they put you if you may not be moral enough to join the army after committing your special crime and there was all kinds of mean nasty ugly looking people on the bench there there was mother rapers Father stabbers, father rapers, father rapers sitting there right on the bench next to me, and they was mean and nasty and ugly and horrible and crime-fighting guys sitting there on the bench next to me, and the meanest, ugliest, nastiest one, the meanest father raper of them all. I mean, he was mean and nasty and ugly and horrible and all kinds of stuff, and he said, kid... What'd you get? I didn't get nothing. I had to pay $50 and... Pick up the garbage. And then all of a sudden when that when um, sergeant says something to him and he says, Morals? You talking to me about morals when you put me in here with these father rapers and all these <laughs> I mean yeah. I mean I'm sitting here on the group W bench and you're asking <laughs> me whether or not I'm moral enough to go burning villages, killing women, killing children after being a litter bug. And right, right, right. That summons up the whole song and the whole film in one yeah. fantastic sentence. Yeah. So just sort of coming back to these conservative versus younger generation of values. So there, I mentioned the age. There's you know, the hair length. There's a visual cue. Well, he gets beat in a pizza shop. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. You know, the uh, we get the the cowboy hat guys and the 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 redneckism, if that's a word, which I guess is that whole situation is a variation on the hair length. And he's he's right. goaded, and yeah, you know, Arlo's not above to throwing a punch. Which you know, one thing I have to say, like, just I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, just. When they're sitting in that restaurant and they go right in there and Arlo's sitting there drinking a beer and it's over to those two cowboy dudes, I'm thinking, holy shit, I didn't know John Boyd was in this movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it looks like is... Midnight Cowboy, right? <laughs> yeah. And yet, actually, the connection is M.M. at Walsh was in both films. Right. Well, there you go. But it's, but it's kind of funny. Six degrees of M.M. at Walsh. <laughs> they're, they're, looking, they're looking at him like, like he's effeminate. Meanwhile, these two guys look like gay hustlers, right? They look like Tom of Finland drawings, don't they? Right, exactly. Yeah, 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 big yeah. Time. I, just think, I just thought yeah. that was hilarious, man. Just... Hey, honey, what happened to your long-haired girlfriend? I was thinking of asking you two for a date. Don't rile her, Jed. Can't you tell she just came from the beauty parlor? So just I know I'm harping on about this conservative versus new generation America, and yet where they come together is the theme of Amazing Grace. 
because you right, sort yeah. of see like Arlo is making his way up to Ray and Alice's church and he right. passes by one of those revival tents and it's you know all you know the old the preacher is really uh, going for it isn't he yeah right. old, old, fire and brimstone Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, what was the name? How of, bad the name do of that? you want to get into heaven? How bad do you want to get into heaven? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, uh, what, what was the name of that uh, English? Oh, Ian Paisley sort of reminded me of Ian Paisley. The uh, oh yeah, the yeah, preacher. yeah. But he gets them all to sing "Amazing Grace." But of course, before each line, it's like I have to remind you what the words are. So, uh, but yes, Arlo, yeah. but Arlo is looking in on that, and he's not looking in on them with contempt or anything. Like this is this is to him, it's an old folk song, probably that Woody had sung to him, you know, many years right. ago as. A a child anyway and then later on when Ray and Alice are renewing their wedding vows in the church what do they sing they sing Amazing Grace so yeah, it, right, that, yeah. that song is a nice tie between old, yeah. old world values yeah. and new world values just what I've always wanted a restaurant no, a friend with a restaurant. Sorry, Alice is very much a mother figure towards yeah, those sure. those kids. Ray f- thinks that he is one of those kids. He he wants to be part of the new scene, the group. Peter Peter Pan. Yeah, exactly. He's kind of well, he's, he's, kind of, he's like cool dad, isn't he? He's trying to be part right. of this and into all this, but it's just and it's yeah, it's not working. I forgot right off the top of my head now the actor's name who who played Ray. James. So James, James Broderick, who is the father. right? Because I remembered him. He was the father and family, you know, because that was the That's show right, I remember yeah. the seventies, yeah. right? Yeah, and he, you know, because I thought like I know this guy. I remember, holy shit, he was the because Christy McNichol was the little girl, and yeah, 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 yeah I remember that show. Yeah, what you're talking about, Morris, the conservative, and you know, like that whole kind of uh, crux. I think that a lot of that is also represented in Woody dying. Right. Because with Arlo going to the hospital and seeing Woody on his on his way out, it's almost like the old guard is on its way out. It's a symbolic uh, piece that shows Arlo like, you know, and, and that all right, he's done, he, he's got to carry the torch. And yeah, and yeah. what I find, what I find ironic too and no spoilers, but I mean obviously you know, Woody dies, but somebody else passes away as well. But then there's a point where Arlo kind of gets stuck in between where he doesn't make it back to New York to see Woody off, but that he's never, he doesn't get back to the church either to yeah. uh, say good. To me, that's kind of saying, look, it doesn't matter whether you're there or not. Time goes on. Things go yeah. on. Like, and, yeah. and you know, you are, you're being part of it is irrelevant. It's just, you know, there's just that progress of time. Time just marches on. There's nothing you can do about it. It's interesting that the film, now, I, I don't know whether this is with hindsight or whether this is with something that was actually, you know, Arthur Penn was, it was uh, intending, but he, he kind of shows both sides of the coin in the kind of conservative, the old guard, and, you know, the, the kind of new generation, the new guard, the more liberal thinking. Yes. He, he, he kind of shows warts and all on both of them, so one isn't necessarily better than the other. No, no, no. You know, he's not um, idealising the, uh, you know, the, the new attitude, as it were, the counterculture. No. He's kind of showing that, you know, that's flawed and that's just as human and, you know, fallible as, as, as the old guard is, you know? Sure, absolutely. But everybody's making assumptions about each other. I mean, like, you know, for example, sure, yeah. like that local cop, where you know the the cop eats the cake, you know, and says eat me, and he says all right, no, I don't so care, like, and he cuts the cake. But then later, you know, when the cop gets all serious and he gets up in Arlo's face, and Alice is like, oh come on, man, like what do you suddenly yeah. decided you want to be a cop now? Like you know, you, you never hassled us before. Why are you hassling us now? You know, 
Yeah. And, and she she makes the assumption, I think, that, you know, he's just going to be cool all the time when, you know, like people aren't like black and white. They're gray. And and everybody in the whole film is like that. You know, it's like, there's people that think Arlo's going to go along with certain things. And he says, no, it ain't cool, you know. And then there's things where they think Alice is going to go along with things. And she says, no, it ain't cool. So, I mean, yeah. you know. And yet Ray is still, he's very much a black or white person. He isn't a shades of grey. He, sure, he wants, sure. He very much wants things to be like, wow, this is this new spirit. I'm all up for that. That's interesting because he's, it's almost like he's making that decision that he's either going to be black or white he's kind of not acknowledging those shades of grey he's not but it's like a conscious thing on his part isn't it so either he's all in or he's all out kind of thing you know but I, right. I think I, I think it was you Bernie who had already gone and mentioned that Arlo was uh, you know very much the sort of character who, you know, he's going to judge each situation on his own merits and he's going to be a gentleman and if it, yeah. if, if this yeah. situation calls for uh, you know the new values and good and if, it calls, if this calls for the old values well then, then very good so this isn't giving something so much away but it is very late in the film so uh, Ray and Alice they renew their wedding vows and Ray is being something of a dick (laughs) at at the wedding to put it mildly and like Alice is looking at him thinking why did I renew my wedding vows I don't know and and really and Ray comes up with this idea so hey we're gonna sell the church and we're gonna buy a plot of land and everyone's gonna live so we can be near each other all the time and it's gonna be beautiful and wonderful Arlo and his and his girlfriend is you know uh, okay Ray we gotta go now Uh, planet earth is calling us yeah yeah, yeah. He, so he's he's still right. very much he's that shows he's the pragmatist and he he comes well, that, off he comes off looking very very good. That's what I was saying about the idea of the idealism and the reality. Yes, exactly. Where, you know, Absolutely. it's just like he's still trying to get high off his own supply, you know, and he's still sitting there yeah. like he's saying, you know, like we're gonna fill a balloon and everyone's gonna go to heaven and we're gonna drop flowers and woo. And Arlo's just like, yeah, okay, man, give your head a shake, you know, catch yeah. you later, you know. Yeah. You know, like, and they they just duck out, and I think that's the last thing. Like the end of the film, not to give away any spoilers, is that there's this almost like a minute and a half shot of Alice standing at the door of the church, looking at them driving away, and it's just her standing there for the longest time. And I think to me, that's kind of like her saying, "Yeah, you chose reality, you know, and maybe that was the thing that I should have chose as well." It's like what's left. What's left for me now? I've got to deal with the idealism. Yes, I've got to live with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Outside of the scenes with, you know, which are depicted already in the song, anyway, I'd say just out of the rest of the film, that last three minutes of the film, and it really it should be stated, it's just that one image of Alice. Although it, it's a very slow pan of her sort of going from like a just stood outside the church, just right, just right. In, in front of her, pan, panning yeah. to the side, and just the look on her face as everyone's driven away and she's realized that she now has to live with this idealist this unpractical idealist just the look on her face and we hear a bit of the music i have to say that's probably my favorite bit in the film it's it's just this look of realization it's hugely powerful i loved it um one bit of trivia not related to any of that did you guys realize that the the guy playing the judge and the guy yes. playing the, the cop Officer was the, Obi. it was the real cop and the real judge 
Now, it's really interesting that, um, I mean, the judge is only in it briefly, yes. but Officer uh, Obi, yep. it's really interesting that he played himself in the film because they kind of make him out to be a bit of a buffoon, don't they? Well, and he's, he, he's he, quite he, happy to go along with it. You know? well, he, in, in this interview that I so, read with Arlo in Rolling Stone from last year, he said that basically, you know, Obi, he heard the song when it, when it all came out and heard yeah. the reaction to it. And then he sort of realised, you know, that the whole situation, what he did was pretty stupid and when they heard that they were going to oh, okay. make this film they approached yeah. him and he said yeah you know that situation was pretty stupid yeah yeah okay i'm sure i'm yeah i'm happy to i'm happy to play myself in the film there was a quote i think he said wasn't it if anybody's going to play me as a buffoon then it better be me yeah that's exactly <laughs> what i was going to say yeah yeah, yeah. I, I found that really fascinating. I guess in summary, there's a lot of great ideas about the film, but I, I think it was yourself, Bernie, you said at the beginning of the show that it's very episodic. And it's because the song, even though it's in two halves, definitely has a story and it, 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 we get these two distinct things and it links back to it to itself. And I understand that you've got to stretch the story out and give us more of the characters and all that, but I'm not sure that it always worked in principle because it was too episodic or because the tone was too different from the uh, from the humour of the events yeah. of the song. I don't know. So I, I think it just about gets away with it. The tone is definitely uneven, and the episodic nature I, I think does kind of work. I think as well, and this is something I, I wanted to uh, to get onto. Hmm. Um, I wanted to talk about the uh, the performances a little bit because it's very apparent that a lot of the people in this either weren't actors or were amateur at best. Right. Apart from Ray and Alice, I think those were pretty much the only two who'd had any real acting experience. Arlo is kind of quite painfully wooden in places. I think he has a, a, a sort of charm, a boyish charm, which kind of carries him through and I think actually adds to his performance and, and to the film in general. Definitely. But I, I was just curious as to what you guys thought about him, Arlo in particular, and, and the rest of the cast. I, I mean, look, you've already gone and said it there perfectly. Bernie. He was charming. I don't often use the word delightful, but really he was. And <laughs> He did look very stoned in places, didn't he? There's a couple of scenes where he's got the real bags under his eyes and he, he's really got that <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, one joint too many kind of look. Yeah. yeah, I think he definitely acquits himself well. I mean, he is playing, not necessarily himself, but a version of himself. And he's certainly playing, sure, yeah. the, he's playing the version of himself that's in the song. And he, he, you know, he says, now friends, we could have we would have had two possibilities. Uh, one which would have been Officer Orby was rewarding us for being so brave and honest on the telephone. It was that sort of accentuated character. And yeah. it works because we get that character from the song. And we get that moment, that beautiful moment, where we see him in, in the recruitment office. And he's jumping up and down. We, we Like, you know, we get hmm. a bit in the song where he says, uh, Shrink, I want to kill. I want to kill. Shrink, kill, kill. And we don't hear him say that in the film. But we do see, like, from outside the glass window, we see yeah. him jumping up and down with the with the psychiatrist, the army psychiatrist. Nay says, "You're the one, boy. Come with us." <laughs> that's it. That's it. It, it. it works in a very old school Hollywood comedy sort of way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I imagine that it's a sort of thing that uh, Gilbert Gottfried would look at and say, "That's comic comedy genius. You know, that's comedy gold." Yeah. So it works. In I think that's that something that maybe Arthur Penn would kind of brought some of that to it as well, considering that. You know, he'd been around. Well, I guess he wasn't yeah, super old or anything at this point, but he'd certainly had a more of a history 
in but, film than uh, than anyone else involved. So right. that whole bit is almost like something out of the Marx Brothers, though, because yeah, they say you're, you're you're the one, boy. Come with us. Oh, and it's like okay, yeah, yeah, you're good, you're good, you're good. Oh, by the way, have you ever broken the law? And then he's like, <laughs> and he's like, well, like you know, as a matter of fact, and it's just like, well, okay, that's fine, that's fine. But you know, like, have you ever gone and stood in front of a court? Well, uh, you know, then finally they're like, all right, over there. <laughs> I agree that James Broderick and I think it's Patricia Quinn. They, they carry themselves off you know, well as actors and Arlo through his natural charm. And look, the rest, it's a period piece and the acting is a bit wooden. I mean, the, the woman who plays is his girlfriend. I think Tina Chen was her yeah. name. There's that one line uh, actually sort of brings up the point, apart from Alice, there's no real women of any consequence in this film. So yeah, he, yeah. He, comes in, he comes in to get her when he has to leave the town as, you know, as escorted by Officer Roby and he comes yeah, in to see her. I have to pick up a chick, he says, doesn't he? Hey, come on. I'm getting rid out of town by the vigilantes and I told him I had to pick up my girl. Am I your girl? Am I your girl? Oh, well, I guess you're going to have to. It's <laughs> yeah. a little bit wooden. But you know, I, I really don't have a problem with the acting being wooden because I, I think it's that sort of film where they could get away with it and it's not supposed to be the sort of yeah. film where uh, the performances are paramount. Right. But, you're not watching this looking for Max von Sydow, okay? That's right, right yeah. I was originally, you know, but... Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> the, the, the thing is, too, that I, the one thing that really did stand out for me about, like you said, it was a period piece. But here's the thing that, I mean, people need to understand is that when when film is made, you know, it's going to be, like, it's going to be viewed for ages. So mm-hmm. the thing for anybody who lived in that time, who went through the draft, who experienced the commune experience, you know, they could watch this and just reminisce, you know, and it's almost like putting yeah, on it's an old ring jacket. Authentic, isn't it? It's yeah. going to ring authentic and say, "Yeah, I remember yeah. that guy. Or my buddy was like that dude, or he hit me up for twenty bucks and you know had a joint in his pocket and we sat down and you know, like it rings authentic." But for people now, like like you said, like fifty years some on later, you're watching this and it just seems so stilted, right? Yeah. But but I think you know. But again, this was made for a time, like Morris was saying. So I think you have to look it like that well i think in a way it's it's kind of one of its strengths because it is genuine it is authentic it's not some hollywood casting director's idea of what the hippies look like and how they spoke and what they wore and what they thought you know it's these are genuine hippies hanging around a church in stockton massachusetts in 1968 69 so it doesn't get more authentic than that alice do you take this man to be your lawful loving man for bad or for better for drunk or for sober for high or for lower, <laughs> for husband and lover, today and tomorrow, till death do you part. I do. So anything else you guys wanted to add? That, um, briefly, sorry, i just jump in here. Arlo wears some of the worst shirts I think I've seen. Um, he's got some real Seinfeld puffy sleeve shirts going on in a couple of scenes in this. My whole life is ruined because of the puffy shirt. Everyone else looks, you know, dressed down hippies, but he's got the kind of like powder blue giant roughly shirt and stuff on. So, But hey, you know, it's the 60s, yeah, I guess. I, I was going to say there's one moment in this film that's a little bit creepy to me too. And it's when Arlo, uh, he's hitchhiking and he gets picked up by a truck driver. And he sits down and then the truck driver is like, you know, like looking at him. And then he takes off his hat and his long hair kind of flows out. 
then the truck driver's still looking at him. He looks kind of like John Wayne Gacy, you know, the truck driver. And, and he's sitting there and he fires up a cigar and he's still looking at Arlo and he's smoking and looking at Arlo. Then he turns on the radio yeah. and it's foggy. He's still looking at Arlo. And I mean, you know, and I guess that goes back to that division you were talking about, Morris, the conservative and the... Uh, the, the conservative and, the, and yeah. the, new, the new generation. Right, right. You do kind of expect the next scene, though, to be Arlo, Arlo's broken body lying in a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Uh, cool. Well, and any final things you guys want to add then? Well, would you recommend it? Would you guys say this is a recommend? Maybe if you're going to think of watching it, just realize it is a period piece. I mean, I, unlike some other films where I've said uh, like two thumbs up, we do the thumbs up scale on this program. Sure. I'd, I'd give this you know, a, a one thumb, not a two thumb, but I'd say if you're interested in seeing a document of the period, then definitely give this a watch. If you're a fan of the song, then I just say go in a little bit cautious, knowing that it doesn't maintain the good humour of uh, of the original mm-hmm. song. You're getting something a bit you know a bit extra, which is you know, maybe not necessarily, but possibly if you've not seen the film or even heard the song, I'd say possibly watch the film first, so you're not carrying the luggage of expectations of uh, what the song brings, and then go listen to the song afterwards and catch the mood of that. So look, I'd say yeah, if you haven't seen it before, and the whole film is on YouTube, so uh, it, it's yep. easily accessible. But so I'd say yeah, look, I'd, I'd recommend it with reservations, but yes, I'd, I'd say sure, go and check it out. Don't don't oh, yeah. go into this expecting for performances because I think there's only yeah. like about maybe five percent performances in this film of yeah. Pete Seeger and Narlo, but that's it's it's minimal at best. I think uh, you know viewing it from forty odd years perspective now I, I think a lot of what, what you could term as bad points actually kind of add to it i think the, the clunkiness of some of the dialogue and the acting just give it a more sort of genuine gritty feel in a weird kind of way i think it works again this is with hindsight i'm sure but it, it works very well as a kind of snapshot of the uh, of the dream as it was coming to an end and that dawning realization that we're actually not going to change the world and maybe this isn't going to work out and because of that it's got a very sort of melancholy vibe to it i think yeah even with the, the humor and, and the fun like, and well like we were saying the tone is pretty uneven throughout yeah. but it generally does give off this kind of end of the 60s and end of an era kind of uh, melancholy that uh, for me it works really really well so I, I would i think i'd give it two thumbs up i really really oh, okay. like this film um i like how it looks it's where it was shot stockton massachusetts and they obviously shot it around uh, kind of autumn into the winter lots of uh, foliage and trees going brown and it, again that's kind of a metaphor of it all you know it's summer's yeah. over man and autumn's here and winter's coming you know mm. so uh, I don't know maybe I'm reading too much into it but no I, I think that, I think it's a very good interpretation I'd, I'd yeah, yeah. say like that that last shot of Alice the last three yeah. four minutes of the that, film that is beautiful that, and powerful and, and that that kind of sums up everything I've been saying about the film and you know again right. broad strokes here but that sums up the entire sort of generation and the counterculture right. and you know what happened again I don't know whether Arthur Penn intended that at the time but certainly looking at it now it's, it's a very very strong image those last last couple of moments right. so I, I love the film I'll give it two, uh, two thumbs up Okay. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed this. I mean, going back after seeing it since I was like a wee kid, I mean, you know, I, I thought this was great. And what was really nice about it is, you know, you see all these young people together working together in the church and they're painting and they're yeah. cooking and they're all yeah. doing everything together and nobody's taking selfies of each other. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, so you I mean, say you it, say that with humour, Tim, but that's absolutely right. It's people being yeah. together and doing stuff it's together for the right being together and, and, just, and experiencing. Yeah, like I mean, sharing an experience. experience you know? that, but it's, you know, oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think the film suffers from trying to be too much at too at uh, at the same time. And I think that, you know, the disjointedness, I mean, like, there's the seriousness in the film about Shelley. There's the seriousness about Ray and Alice. But then there's also just kind of like a whimsy about uh, about Arlo. Yeah. Whimsy is such a good word. That that perfectly encapsulates Arlo's See, yeah. Again, it's, it's interesting you say that, Tim, because those that kind of unevenness makes it work better for me for some strange sure. reason. Sure, so, sure. I, then I, I like it too. But, I yeah, like it too, yeah. but I'm saying some might be put off by that, you know? Absolutely. But to oh, me, absolutely. But to me, this might sound weird to you guys, but did you did you get the vibe almost like Arlo's almost like Buddha? Like he's just got that. I quite thought of it that way, but no. But no, he's got this. That. He doesn't go one way or go another. He just kind of you know walks through like you know everyone expects him to be a certain way, and he's yeah. not. Just you know what I mean? Yeah, he just yeah. observes. And then, and then when somebody says, what do you think about this, Arlo? And he's just like, well, no, no, no. Everyone's like, oh, okay. You know, like, it just, of, uh, it, like, he's kind of a Buddha, influence, isn't he? He's, he's like a philosophical savant, idiot savant, almost guy. Like, he's just kind of walking around just like, yeah, yeah well, whatever, man. Like, you know, whatever. this is what I think. You know, and everyone's like, oh, okay. You know, well, like, he's... I- I suppose he's the um, – there's a term for this. I can't remember what it is, but he's the character in a film that basically you, the viewer, are supposed to be. Yeah. I don't know whether what the term is, but there's a specific term for it, isn't there? There, there um, is. I, I mean, I'm thinking like in – what do they call like the Greek chorus? Does, is, that, uh, is that what it is? Well, doesn't the, the Greek chorus kind of – doesn't that comment on certain – Things or highlight certain things for you to. Well, yeah, think, isn't think that? The, isn't I don't know. I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, you get my point anyway. He's kind yeah, of the. Sure. Uh, he's your eyes throughout the thing, isn't he? He's kind of level-headed right. one way or another. Right. So the last thing I want to do, I want to say is that watching this kind of gave me almost a deja vu to like the uh, the Dukes of Hazard because <laughs> what what I what I mean by this is like, have you seen have you seen the Dukes of Hazard, Morris? I avoided it at all costs. Okay. Well, anyways, it's there nice. was a there was a narrator in the you know on the series, and it was actually Waylon Jennings who did the oh, narration right. on the show. Yeah. But it was like every episode would be like, well, them Duke boys are in a lot of trouble now. What are they going to do now? Like you know, you know, and it almost reminded me like the Dukes of Hazard, like the narration in this film. I thought, I just thought it was so funny. Yeah. It had that kind of like that thir- that third person kind of just sitting back like the fly on a wall. Like, well. How are they going to get out of this one? And it was just just kind of funny. But uh, no, I highly recommend this, all right? So go out and see it. I guess at this stage, I'll mention what we're doing next month. I've picked a film which I guess, like this one, although it came a few years later, is grounded in the counterculture. And I guess I'm breaking the rules a smidgen a bit here, because uh, I think when we established C here, we decided that the film had to be in some way about music. And this film is not really about music, but it is a musical. In fact, it's a rock opera. And the film is called Catch My Soul. So I'll go, I'll go into the circumstances when we talk about the film on the next show, how uh, I discovered about this. But the film uh, just got released after years in the wilderness. I don't know whether there'd been a print available anywhere. A release company called Etiquette Pictures, which I think is sort of more like a, 
a non-sleazy division of uh, Vinegar Syndrome have gone and released a Blu-ray of the film, which uh, there's a fascinating story behind it. We'll go into it when we talk about the episode, but it's a rock opera. There is some dialogue in it, but a couple of the main stars has got Richie Havens, who filmed this, I think, he basically come fresh out of Woodstock. And I oh, actually, no, hang on, wait, it's filmed in 74. Forget I said that. Anyway, it's got Richie Havens. Oh, sorry, hang on. I think Richie Havens went onto the stage production after doing Woodstock. And it, so it's got him and it's got Tony Joe White. So you already have a bit of an idea what uh, you know, direction the music is going to go in. Sounds so good we'll to ha- me. We're going to have a, a very interesting discussion about rock operas. And the, the contemporary films are definitely going to have to come up in the conversation. Uh, other rock operas of the time. And it, it's, it's a counterculture thing. If you haven't seen the film, and frankly, I don't think many people actually did, this is a an adaptation, a hippie adaptation, if you will, of Othello. And we've already discussed a mu- another musical adaptation of Othello on the program last year, where we discussed All Night Long, which was a jazz adaptation. Uh, that starred Patrick McGowan, and Catch My Soul is directed by Patrick McGowan, so he uh, obviously has a love of Othello. But uh, anyway, look, I don't want to say any more. We've got plenty that we're going to be talking about in next month's episode, and we will be joined by a guest. Now, this is someone who I've not had any words to on Skype, never met the fellow, but uh, his name is Robert Hubbard, and he's in the See Here Facebook community. When he found out that I'd bought a copy of this, he sent me a lot of information. He had some uh, articles and all sorts of things in, in pertaining to the film, and he knew a lot about the background of the history of the film. You know, it seems like he's something of a, a film scholar, so I invited him to join us. I said, well, if you know a lot about this film, would you like to uh, discuss the, the film on the show with us? And he said, absolutely. So, a new member to the See Here discussion family. Looking forward to uh, meeting him. Uh, Robert Hubbard will be joining us to speak about 1974's film Catch My Soul, directed by Patrick McGowan. That'll be June 2016. We will also be having... I'm not sure if we'll do it for June or July, but we're going to have another mini-episode, which, uh, look, I might announce on the Facebook closer to time, but just keep an eye out that there will be two episodes either in June or July coming up. It'll be an interview, but something very exciting. If you want to get hold of us, See Here podcast at gmail.com join our group we're a fun group aren't we guys well, absolutely yeah. sure. facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash see here and and we want to hear your suggestions I mean like please send us suggestions about you know what we're doing right what we're doing wrong what you love about the show and some uh, we need film suggestions the more the merrier we want to hear from you yeah absolutely if you uh, feel that you'd like to write a review for us on iTunes go ahead we'd be grateful for that but you know what if you don't want to do that and you, but you do like the show tell a friend that we exist we'd love to uh, get some new listeners onto the show new people who get involved in the community who can, uh, you have an opinion about a film hit us up you say hey listen I would like to discuss this film and I'd like to come on the show and do it with you we're an open door um, absolutely so please just get involved it's not just our show it's our community join us be part of it we uh, we have a passion for films and music and we'd like to share that with you so sure. anyway that's uh, that's all the raving i'm going to do and with that so, i think we should I guess say, that's it yeah thanks for joining us thank you very much have a great thank night you. guys Good take night. care yep bye bye you can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant accepting Alice you can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant So walk right in, it's around the back Just a half a mile from the railroad track And you can get anything you want At Alice's
Alice's Restaurant. At Alice's Restaurant. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 